Welcome to Shots and Tanure on Football Outsiders Live Wednesday edition. Hello. Hello. It's Wednesday at 1 p.m. As you may know, we appear now on all of your favorite streaming services at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, weekdays. Uh, YouTube Live is the main place to see us, but I believe we're also on Twitch and LinkedIn and Twitter and all kinds of things. And you can catch us afterwards as a podcast. And uh, hello to everyone who's listening to this as a podcast afterwards. Uh, Mike and I are here today with Vince Verhey as our guest, and we have breaking news to start with, which is a minute before we went on air, Matt Nagy announced that going forward, Justin Fields is officially the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Not Andy. Andy Dalton will not be getting his job back when he is healthy. Justin Fields is the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. So this took like two weeks longer than everybody expected it was going to take. Uh, thoughts, Mike? It is not Andy Dalton's time. This was Andy Dalton's time. September 1st to the 14th or whatever it was, was Andy Dalton's time. And now, and now it's time for reality to set in and us to move forward with the, the Justin Fields uh, era, epoch in Chicago. Yeah, I mean – Listen, I think that from a projection perspective, I, I mm -hmm. talked about this in the preseason too. Look, you have to expect that rookies will struggle. Yeah. I think from a projection uh, perspective, you have to project the Bears to be a little bit worse. Yeah. With Fields a quarterback. Big whoop-de-doo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they win five games instead of seven. Okay. Right. Like, I mean, it's a rebuilding year. So this is the perfect, they don't have to worry about like Lance versus Garoppolo. The 49ers are a contender. Do they want to possibly take a step back with Lance, you know, knowing that if, you know, Lance plays instead of Garoppolo, they might be a little bit better, but they also might be a little bit worse. With the Bears, they'll take a little bit worse. That's fine. It's all about building for the future. So this is absolutely the right move. It's all about right now, Nagy and Pace sa saving their jobs though. We're talking in this, yeah, with this global sense. It's like, oh, you know, if you lose two more games than you would have or one more game than you would have, you get a higher draft pick and all. The you might not be Nagy and the you might not be Pace. And one of the things that was interesting about this is it's a, it's been a message control thing from the day Dalton was signed through the day Fields was drafted. And they bollocksed the message control every time along the way. They're so belligerently backing Dalton. And then last week with this whole kerfuffle, who's the play caller? We're not going to tell you who the play caller is. That's a scheme question or all that other stuff. If if they had managed it better, they could have gone through and now you could have said, hey, he's the quarterback going forward. He could have said that last week. He could have said that after the injury. He could have said Bill Lazor's taking over the play calling because he's got packages designed for a mobile quarterback. And they could be spinning this right now as a big success for the coaching staff and for the organization. Right now they're like in damage control where Fields does poorly. Ownership's going to look at them and say, why weren't you ready? Why didn't you switch play callers earlier? Why isn't this? Why wasn't this the plan all along, et cetera? So Nagy and Pace are in a different situation than we we are from you know ten thousand feet up. Said, oh, this will be better for the team in the long run. Yeah, I I hope that this means that they're going to craft a game plan that is more fitting for Justin Fields. Yes, you know what? And, and I saw we saw Doug. We, he was on saying, oh, Lasers game plan is better. Um, because, you know, there's more leveled concepts and there's more RPO concepts and things like that. And that's fine. I, I think that's obviously true to a degree. Doug knows his stuff. It was a better game plan because it was a weaker opponent. They could run the ball more and there was more second and three. 
And there was more, oh, you're at the 40-yard line going in. You can throw a short pass and get in the field goal range and, and continue the drive. That's why it was better right now. We need to see fields in a variety of possibilities to say, is laser the answer? I don't think laser's the answer. I've seen him run a million game plans for a million different teams, you know, or, you know, is it a thing where you know, fields has to develop into what Nagy's doing, or if it's time for just a coaching change there, which it is. I mean, I think, I don't know if they can save their jobs. Like I can't yeah. imagine that fields can be good enough that they're going to save their jobs. I, I would think that if I'm Chicago's ownership, I'm looking very heavily at changing the GM and the head coach when this year is over. I agree. And there's also, they, they just made a land purchase, They're looking to get a new stadium built out in the suburbs. Right. Um, PR matters. <laughs> Optimism <laughs> matters. Um, so, I, but, you know, coincidentally, I was just, right before the season started, I took a trip to Chicago. I went to a Cubs game, and there was Fields merchandise everywhere. Mm. Uh, so, they're, very, they're all on board with the rookie, and uh, yeah. they're ready to take their lumps. Um, after, I, I didn't watch the Bears-Lions game this weekend, but I saw the highlights, which looked great, and he's making fields or making throws that uh, Andy Dalton can't make anymore. Right. Um, and then I get the quick reads column on Monday, and Fields is not come out looking good. Um, for a guy who's averaging better than 10 yards a pass, he's like the 24th or something, right around replacement level. Huh. So there's, there's going to be some highs and some lows. And uh, um, but some, of that, some of that may be opponent adjustments because, as Larry T. Deneen points out in the comments, the Detroit Lions suck. Yeah. Sometimes football analysis isn't that hard. You can just say the Detroit Lions suck, and you'll be right. There it is on the bottom right there. Yes. Detroit Lions suck. I have to say, you know, I don't think Detroit is going to hit our over four and a half. Mm. They're down to three and a half, folks, if you're still feeling it. But they, they had a couple of these close games early on that they could have won that would have made hitting five or six wins a lot easier, and they didn't yeah. win them. Yeah. And uh, I don't think – I think that they're building something. I mean, you talked about this in Walkthrough, I think, last week. Like, right. it looks like they're kind of building something, but it's not being built like it's taken a, going to take a long, long time to go back. Because they need quarterbacks and receivers and the hard things to find. They've kind of found an offensive line in the trenches, which is not nothing, mind you. But to, to Larry uh, Deneen's point, the secondary really sucks, which creates opportunities for Justin Fields. Okay, you're running the ball well, running the ball well, and then you've got an open window to throw to down the field, which is ideal and great for him. And he's, he might not see as many of them against, say, the Packers. They're, they're better than the Falcons have been. They're better than the Jets have been, maybe two or three of the teams, but their schedule is just so hard. Mm-hmm. And they still have the AFC West and the NFC West remaining. Um, it, it's hard to find four wins on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise surprising 29th in DVOA so far, the Detroit Lions. But uh they need to find a better way to defend 66 yard yeah. field goals, says Todd Singer. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say they had games they could have won. Right. That they didn't win. Like they really needed that field goal to not go in in order to um in order to, to make the over four and a half. And right. also think about how differently we would be thinking of the Ravens if that field goal had not gone through. They'd be two and two. And even though they'd be high in a lot of advanced stats, rating systems like DVOA, I think people would be looking at them at two and two and being like, oh, what's wrong with the Ravens? Like right. that field goal changes people's minds mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Like the fact is that Early in the season, I mean, wins and losses mean a lot. There's no question when it comes to the playoff odds simulation, right? Like getting those wins under your belt 
is really important. Right. Winning games but, doesn't matter, it turns out. But for example, like all the subjective power rankings right now have the Arizona Cardinals number one in the league. Oh. Does anybody really think, despite the fact that they're 4-0 and they had a nice win over the Rams, mm-hmm. does anybody really think that the Arizona Cardinals right now are the best team in the NFL? It's fun to pretend, but you talk about the 66-yard field goal. The Vikings needed to defend against the 62-yard field goal, yeah. which didn't make the news because it was before halftime. It wasn't a game winner, but that's why they're not 3-1. and one. At 3-1, and one, they would still have buzz, but no one in their right minds would say, oh, this is a better team than the Buccaneers or, or you know, or the, or the Bills right now who are beating the daylights out of everybody, but they're doing it at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a game that's like on the bottom of the satellite package and no one's watching. I mean, here's a question we got from uh, a user on our Instagram account, which is City Lights 0714. Who do you think will have the best record in the NFL this year? They may have the lead in wins right now, but would you say your best bet for the best record in the NFL this year is the Arizona Cardinals right now? It's one of those things where every team comes into the season, or most teams come into the season, and if, if and they say to themselves and say to their fans, if A, B, C, and D all go right, <laughs> we'll go to the Super Bowl. And for most teams, A and B might go right and C and D go terribly wrong and they right. go on. For the Cardinals, A, B, C, and D have all gone right. And even E has gone right because <laughs> his offensive right. line looks good. That's E. Chan- yeah. Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are both playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their secondary that looked like a disaster going into the season has played well, despite yeah. the fact that Malcolm Butler surprisingly retired before that, the year. That's so the part their secondary lose, make look worse. Uh, the two young linebackers have played well. Yep. Uh, Collins and uh, and Simmons. Kingsbury uh, has re- rediscovered how to call a play besides screen to Hopkins. That's AJ a Green is playing better than he did last year in Cincinnati. And last year in Cincinnati with A.J. Green was not just about the quarterback. A.J. Green himself was bad. Like, -hmm. if you only look at on-target passes, his catch rate was near the bottom of the league. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just that the quarterbacks were bad. A.J. Green himself was bad. Now he's not. You wrote the Arizona chapter, Vince, so Mm -hmm. I don't know how much Arizona you've actually gotten to see this season to see whether they have broken out of their – like, have they broke um, – uh, J.P. Acosta's opinion in any given Sunday was it's not that they've changed their offensive scheme. It's just that Kyler Murray is executing it to the highest possible level. Like, have they changed which, like, routes they run? Are they running more routes, or is it still the same, like, root tree that was limited? I mean, when you look at the – when I have not watched a, a Cardinals game start to finish this year. I watched a lot of their game against Minnesota because that was such a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, but – a lot of it is Kyler Murray just doing Kyler Murray things. He, he, you know, he's always, he's probably the best scrambler in the league. Um, I think more it's all, all the personnel, is, all the personnel moves have worked out as well as they possibly could have. AJ Green, who did look horrible on his own uh, in Cincinnati, looks much better as the third or fourth option in this offense. Um, uh, Christian Kirk is still very good. But he, uh, um, that was a poster, by the way. um you know the the offense last year was murray scrambles and deandre hopkins end of list yes and uh green has a better third option fitz is a better third option behind hopkins and kirk here than the larry fitzgeralds randy isabella's did last year um so that's been an upgrade max williams has fit in just fine replacing dan arnold 
John Connor has been much better as the power back than Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore has given them, you know, uh, uh, he he's in the uh, he's been one of one of the best Moors. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's the best of the rookie Moors. He's a little better than Elijah. I think Elijah might be hurt right now. Uh, but he his, his screens, he's I think he's like ten for like 110 yards on the screens. So he's doing the stuff Isabella was supposed to do, and some of the stuff Kirk's doing. He's doing it better, and Kirk is more diversely uh, integrated in the system. I have yeah. to break in with breaking news, guys. <laughs> Stephon Gilmore is not being cut by the New England Patriots. <laughs> Stephon what? Gilmore is being traded to. The Carolina Panthers. Oh, that's hmm. for that's a 2023 sixth round pick. Wow! All right, that is a very low price. Yep, but well, at least it's something. It was going to be nothing because he was going to get, get cut. So, because I, I mean, we were going to end up having to talk about the Gilmore issue anyway, because it's that was the biggest news this morning, right when I woke up. To see yeah. that was just a shocker. Yeah. Um, but I think that the general consensus was that he was just not going to play for the Patriots unless right. they gave him more money. Right. So is Carolina, by taking on Gilmore, promising to give him more money? Like, is yeah. part of this deal a promise to give him a long-term extension with more money or just give him more money for this year? Probably. They have cap space. They're in good shape with cap. So they can they can play more ball there. They're probably more willing to play more ball. Um, you know, when the tra- I mean, it's a trade, obviously. So you don't think Gilmore has say in it, but Gilmore had some say in this, clearly. So the sales pitch of Carolina having things turn things around is is part of it there. So what I think we're going to see is some kind of renegotiation put into place sometime in the days and weeks to come. And you heard me last week criticizing the H- Henderson deal, like ah, oh, you, you grabbed another team's like flyer here, you overpaid for it. This is this is the trade. This is the the droid you sought. This is the trade you were looking for. <laughs> like, like I don't see any reason. Like Gilmore was Gilmore as good in 2020 as he was in 2019? No. Right. Are torn quads difficult to come back from? Yeah. Sure. Has he had a lot of time to be working on coming back? Yeah. I mean, you got to. I've got to figure that the likelihood is that Gilmore isn't at least an average corner starting corner at this point, but it's it's probably that he's better than that. He's better than average. He's but he's than- not probably what he was two years ago, but they just gave up a sixth round pick in two years for him. Mm-hmm. Like, good on you, Carolina. Like, there were rumors that Green Bay was looking into a trade. Uh, there are a lot of teams that could use cornerback help right now. About 25, yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean, this is an interesting one because, like, it's interesting because Carolina is still, I think we all still sort of scratch our heads and say, how much of a contender are they really and how much were they just hot for the first couple of weeks of the season? But this mm-hmm. is the kind of move where you're like, we're a contender, like, we're for real, This we need this cornerback. Um, you know, I'm surprised that they weren't outbid by the Green Bay Pack. Like, even if yeah. the Patriots were like, we want to keep him in the N- make put him in the NFC, not the AFC, I'm surprised that like Green Bay would not. Seattle. Uh, for, for, that, for that Seattle. price, for that price, Seattle would yeah. really have used him. So I don't know what happened there. Yeah, as Brian Knowles points out, the Patriots got as much for Gilmore as the Dolphins got for Jakeem Grant. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, good for the Dolphins for getting something for Grant, who was fumbling punts like that's his job. Uh, you know, Grant's had some good years in the past, but man, if the Panthers had Horn still, Horn and uh, and Henderson, and we'll have Horn the secondary I mean, Horn should come back before the end of the year, but he'll miss a few weeks. That's 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 Buccaneers uh, battle. Uh, yep. counter counterattack, counter strike against the Buccaneers. If you get all these guys playing at the same time, yeah. And uh, the Bucks, you know, they they they're vulnerable right now. They lost to the Rams and did not look great and went over to New England. And, and Carolina's making their move. So hey, great, right? <laughs> Good on you. Getting back to Arizona a bit. One thing before we move on. Um, you were talking about the linebackers, and uh, I was looking at this last night. Asking if Arizona is really this good. I was going through our numbers trying to find it. Is there anything Arizona is not doing well? And the <laughs> one thing I found is that they're actually dead last in second level yards, which essentially just means they're giving up lots of 10 yard runs. Yeah. Uh, and my thought was, well, they're usually ahead in the fourth quarter. So right. that's not a surprise. And then uh, just right uh, as we're recording this here, uh, Zayvon Collins actually only played four snaps on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Hicks is taking that job back. <laughs> so even though he right. was really, I did not know that. See, that's yes. what we get for not watching the Arizona card. I need to watch Simmons is playing. Cardinals. Yeah, Simmons is playing pretty well. Yeah, but Collins has kind of been in and out of the lineup. Jordan Hicks was told after the draft he would not have a chance to compete, Good. and he won the job anyway. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> prove me wrong, kids. Prove me yeah. wrong. So, so there's there's still sh- parts being shuffled on their defense there. But I just wanted to point that out before we have uh, angry. Cardinals fans coming oh, to yeah. us not knowing the intricacies of their linebacker playing time. Right. And, you know, Cardinals fans, they're known for being uh, <laughs> plentiful and, and vociferous. I think the Cardinals are very high on league and hidden special teams. Uh, so they've had good luck on – they've had good luck on, on, yeah. on special team stuff that they can't control. Yeah, we all know, we all know the Vikings are missing field goals on them and such. Yeah, the Vikings, obviously. The Rams missed one early in the game when the game was starting to tilt one way or the other. It was like a 45-yarder. So there's little things like that. All these things are kind of like pulling the, the Cardinals down. You know, the question you start looking at is like, well, if we assume that the Super Bowl field actually just kind of remains – the Buccaneers and the Packers and maybe the Rams and maybe the Cowboys, whatever. There's that big clump underneath of them. Cardinals definitely are at least in that clump. Oh, sure. And now we have to ask that question. Are the Panthers in that clump? Because 45 minutes ago, I was was like, bye-bye guys. See you. Have fun on the way down. And now it's like, oh, well, you had an all pro caliber, pro bowl caliber, probably cornerback to that mix. And that's, that's a different team that still gets two games against the Falcons, et cetera. There have already been four missed extra points and three missed field goals against the Arizona Cardinals. And and those extra points for the Jaguars, well, it was a Jaguars game. It was a blowout. It wasn't a blowout until late in the third quarter when things got silly. If you get extra right. points earlier in the game and the score's closer, the game might – I don't think the Jaguars were pulling it out. We we know what's going on in their coach's head right now. But, but Minnesota missed that field goal at the buzzer to mm-hmm. win the game. Uh-huh. And they missed an extra point earlier in the game. Right. Made it so that the game was tied at that point, 34 34. Right. Like Arizona has had some good luck. Yeah. And you know what? They get a, they get Joey Sly at kicker this week because Robbie Gould got hurt. And we're yeah. talking about the Seahawks a little bit in that unusual game in a little bit, but uh, Robbie Gould got hurt. The immortal Joey Sly, uh, Scott Spratt's favorite kicker. Uh, He's going to be in there, so they might even have another week of good of good field goal luck for one of a better term 
coming up this week? I will say the the playoff odds right now, we do have Arizona as the favorite to win the division because yeah. being 4-0 is important. Like they are 4-0 with a head-to-head win over the team that's 3-1. and So they yeah. win the division now 45% of sims. The Rams 24.5, Seattle 19, and San Francisco 12. Um, but it's still all four teams are at 50%. Well, San Francisco's at 49.5%, but that rounds to 50%. So I'm going to say all four teams are still at 50% to make the playoffs or more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the NFC West is still, you know, that's the best division in the game. It is. It is. And, of course, in the NFC, you're going to look at, well, the NFC East is only sending one. Yeah, and it's looking like maybe the NFC North is only going to be sending one at this point. So yeah, really, I think it's between the, the Vikings NFC South. It's between the NFC South and the NFC West for the wild card teams. Yeah, I agree. I think the Vikings. It's it. You know, we're talking about how Arizona is lucky. I think the Vikings made the most unlucky team. They're about three or four plays being four and zero right now. <laughs> um, they missed the kick against Arizona. They lost to the Bengals in overtime, and just lost a close game to the Browns. And um, oh, but God. When you look at them situationally, mm-hmm. and it's an opportunity to come at and get these games, they find ways to make their own bad luck. I'm telling you, we were oh, talking sure. about them. Like, like there, there was a, a whole sequence before halftime where they gave the Browns a field goal on like a third and 20 draw play. Yes. Right before halftime. Hey, the draw play of Nick Chubb, not only does he run for 25 yards to get when, – when, again, the Browns are ready to surrender. Here, here's Nick Chubb. Let's run it out. He, they let him get out of bounds. Yeah. And so it sets up a field goal. And, of course, that, that becomes the margin, really, in the game because they can't kick a field goal late when they keep driving down. They're a touchdown behind. The Vikings just find ways of doing this to themselves. I, yeah. I, I want to remind all the readers, by the way, Wednesday is our AMA show. Ask us anything. Ask me anything. You're only allowed to ask me anything, apparently. It's an AMA show, not an AUA show. But actually, you know, anytime you're watching our streams, uh, which uh, once again, 1 p.m. Eastern every day, you're uh, allowed to ask us questions, but especially Wednesday, we're looking for questions from the crowd. Um, As long as we're sticking on the NFC West, uh, did you guys get a chance to see any of Trey Lance? And what did you think? (laughs) I I watched a little of it in the second half. Um, I thought he looked unprepared. Yep. He looked like a kid who was going in without prepping as the number one quarterback all week. His yep. numbers actually come out pretty good for the yeah. half that he played. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in seeing, I'm interested in now seeing like, all right, is he going to be better than Garoppolo? Like all the people who believe that Garoppolo sucks, like have been really adamant. Lance would be better in this offense. Lance would be better in this offense. Now we're going to, I mean, I don't know exactly what the scoop is with Garoppolo's injury because first he said he was out two or three weeks, and now they're saying he may even play this week. But it looks like at least this week we're going to see what Lance is. I was very harsh on Lance in our Audible's uh, story, and I was expecting uh, more pushback, especially from Brian, who is a 49er supporter and is apparently listening. Hi, Brian. Um, And he didn't really disagree. (laughs) It was some rough, rough, rough going. He looked like uh, a guy who is about as young a starting quarterback, well, he's not a starter, but as, as young an NFL quarterback as you'll ever see, who never played against uh, realistically NFL caliber opponents in college ever, ever, <laughs> and uh, had a year off out of football and spent an off season essentially as a backup. He looked like he had zero idea what he's doing. 
He has a ridiculously strong arm, just throwing uh, erratic fastballs on every single pass. Uh, the worms he killed on that turf by throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs at the feet of his receivers with those, those <laughs> four, four, uh, and Rubis. Um, but um, his numbers look good in large part because he got the uh, 70 whatever yard touchdown to Samuel on a play where the Seahawks fell asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the most incredible blown coverage. Jamal Adams, like going up and pointing, pointing, pointing to no one. You got Brian, Brian, Brian's got the spreadsheet open. He points out that in the first half, the 49ers had an offensive DVOA of 3.4%. And in the second half, if you take out the Samuel play with the ridiculously blown coverage, the 49ers had an offensive DVOA of 3.4%. So exactly the same without yeah. that one play. And I would point out that the first half uh, DVOA there was lower because Garoppolo threw a bad interception, which he has a tendency to do. Um, and that uh, second half DVOA is boosted by a long series of fourth down conversions. And as I said at the time, I'm happy for him that he converted all those fourth downs. That's nice. But if your offensive game plan is we will convert every fourth down we encounter, your game plan sucks. <laughs> went so, down by went down by 14 points and 21 points. Went down by 14 points and then and with uh, six minutes to go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, like I say, he's clearly an incredible athlete, uh, crazy ass arm and can, can, and can outrun everyone, but he, he did not look in any way prepared to win an NFL football game. And when the game was over, I was concluded if, if, uh, they want to win games right now, then Jimmy Garoppolo has to be the guy. Um, I'm a little less down on him. When those late drives, it looked like things were slowing down a little bit for him. Now, granted, of course, you're probably playing against quarters every time and can dump the things off etc cetera, etc cetera. um but uh you know again this is a little bit like justin fields last week where he comes into the game it's starting to tilt the other way a guy fumbles a kickoff so suddenly the, the seahawks have the lead he's playing from behind the entire time we've seen garoppolo play from behind for entire games it looks kind of sloppy as well i want to see him neutral situations out there with a game plan that's a little bit more scripted for him that he's not out there throwing the ball time after time after time after time. You're right, those early plays, uh, the worm eater to, to Kittle early on. Like that's the kid was like, oh my God, how fast is this? Am I processing information? And kind of just fire, fires it off. I don't think that that's, I don't think we're going to see that Lance too, much, too many times moving forward. I no. think he'll develop as he goes. I no, will a, say a week of preparation would, would go <clears throat> a long way. They can prep for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are so far are third against the pass, but 16th against the run. Yeah. So that would seem to play into the 49ers strengths and what they would want to do with Lance at quarterback. Right. And scheme against these guys, you know, Taffy pull the defense the way Kyle Shanahan does. And let's see what the card, how the Cardinals respond to that. Um, switching conferences. Yeah. Uh, CCCX3 says, which matchup versus the Chargers D is more impactful on Sunday? The Browns running game or the Browns passing game? The Browns have uh, a passing game? Yeah, I was going to say, oh, my God, it's the Browns running game, right? Like, first of all, it is very, very rare for a team to have a higher DVOA running than passing. Wow. So yeah. far, the Browns do. They yeah. are second running. 14.9%. They are 21st passing, 8.5%. The Chargers defense, even after playing a good game against the Raiders running game, is fourth against the pass and 25th against the run. I mean, it sounds like the Browns are just going to run right over them all day, mm -hmm. doesn't it? That's, that's, what, they do. 
that, that is what they usually do. And, um, you know, there's, there's, they're a, a 1970s defensive running game team right now. And if, uh, and, and Mayfield's not a disaster, but he's certainly not carrying the, carrying the water there. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that is that they're, they're, they're Nebraska run the option. Basically it's how you approach that team. You see kids, Y'all made fun of Jarvis Landry year after year after year. I, you're all out there, all all the analytics guys out there. They, I'm one watching. of them. I was one of them. Yeah. I, I was yeah. like, I mean, you know, I mean, I I was honest. I said I don't know whether this is about Landry or about right. the way they use him. Right. But he had like negative value. Right. Right. He did, but now he's gone. And like the idea that you have this guy who's who can kind of do like the big slot stuff and catch those little things, and it's kind of, it'll grind, and it, and it kind of makes the other things work in the offense. And I haven't seen a lot of that. Mayfield, if he's not, he's hitting Odell Beckham like two or three times a game over the middle, and that's about it. Everything else is screens, and everything else is into the flats right now. They've got to get that element of their, of their, of their offense figured out. Because, again, they are going to run right through the Chargers, potentially, but can they stop the Chargers in the passing game? They do great defensive effort against the Vikings. Obviously, great defensive effort against a pretty weak uh, Justin Fields in his first start. It's a little bit harder this week when you face that, when you face Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Yeah, that's, that, that's the part of the game I'd be more interested in watching is uh, the Chargers on offense. Um, I think the Browns' defense is, is honestly really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've looked good against bad teams, which is what good teams should do. Uh, the Chargers are going to be a much harder test. And uh, it, it's a game between two teams that are like – Honestly, the AFC looks kind of wide open right now. There's, there's, and Buffalo looks way better than everybody. Yep. And we all think Kansas City. I think we all think. I think we all think Kansas City is going to finish on top in the West eventually. But uh, the, these are two teams right in that that crowded upper tier uh, of playoff contenders, and, and there's a reason for that. And uh, um, just watching what Herbert can do against Miles Garrett and Jadeveon Clowney and Tat McKinley, yep. and a secondary looks much better. That, that that's that's a big deal. And JOK. It's funny because these are the two teams that I said before the season we didn't have as high as everybody else. So right. with one of these teams, we will completely confirm my priors. And with the other team, we will completely prove that I'm a moron. There you go. Uh, but actually, it's not quite that way because when you look at the rating for the first four weeks, the Browns are really good. And the yeah. Chargers are really mediocre, which is a shock. Like they had negative DVOA in their first three games, including the win over Kansas City, which will change as the opponent adjustments get stronger for playing Kansas City. And then they went out and dominated the Raiders. Like, right. no question about it. Like, they went from 22 to 14. Right. Whipped the Raiders. Absolutely. But um, I talked to Ethan Douglas from The Athletic. His power ranking system also has the Chargers around the average part of the league. And we both think it's a little weird. But both well, systems say that they have not they have not played as well as we think they've played. Some of it is their offense has been so built around converting third and long. Yeah. And that's just not necessarily sustainable. I think a lot of this, and I have to go into the deep in the weeds with both of your systems, but don't forget they were so terrible in the red zone in both their first two games. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a that, that's carrying yeah. over. Well, that's the opposite. That's the opposite with third down because third down being so good is not likely to continue. Being so bad in the red zone, also not as likely to continue. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing too, and we're talking about opponent adjustments. Can't I, I was just talking about Kansas City and how we think they're going to turn around, but you know, th- this has been the worst defense in the league so far, and I think we all expected them to be bad on defense, um, but not worse than Detroit. 
uh, not worse <laughs> than the Jets. So um, so that, that opponent adjustment for the Chargers is probably not as strong as we think. It'll get stronger if, as we expect Kansas City, I could keep qualifying this, but if Kansas City gets better, the Chargers' opponent adjustments will get better, the Chargers will look better. But the biggest thing that will make them look better is a win over Cleveland on Sunday. The main thing, my takeaway right now, is whatever the Chargers are, whatever DVOA thinks, the Raiders look ready to fall to earth, and everybody's hurt in Denver, which means awesome. it's wide open. So a Chargers team that's, hey, it's pretty good, whatever, can rise up and claim that either that wild card spot or if the Chiefs are really falling off that division. Uh, we have another question here. I'm putting in a query that's going to help answer one of these questions. Cool. True Mac, which team has underperformed the most from this year, from last year to this one, do you think? The Dolphins. Mm, good call. That's a, that's a good, actually, that's a good choice because that's a team that a lot of us thought, okay, they took a big step forward last year. Here comes the next step. Mm-hmm. And instead, or the Titans. The Titans, yeah, although, see, the Titans we had going down. Okay. But not yeah, this far down. Yeah. yeah, I was against that. Look at me now. <laughs> They're horrible. They're horrible. Not this yeah. far down. I mean, part of it, look, you can't blame them for they, – they lost to the Jets, but they lost to the Jets without Julio Jones and A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown, right? They're a different team when Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are healthy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're 27th right now in DPOA. Miami is 26th. So um, I think Tennessee has underperformed a little bit more than Miami. So yeah, and and when they get Jones back, and when they get uh, Brown back, and of course they've got that stupid schedule, they're going to look fine at least. Whether or not they're going to be fine, well, everyone in the AFC, all the bad teams of the AFC South, all get to play each other. So they all have a bit right. easy schedule because they all get to play each other. It's just the whole div- the whole division is bad, and we knew going into the year that the whole division is bad. That's why Carson Wentz, despite Carson Wentz, we were like. The Colts have a real shot at this thing because they're strong at a lot of positions and the division is bad. Right. And they I still mean, the are. Colts are less strong now with things like Quentin Nelson on IR. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, but going back, the Dolphins have problems. I don't think Tua's return is going to solve. Whereas I think the Titans have problems where, oh, you get your wide receivers back, you get a semi functional offense, and you steamroll the rest of your division and you're fine. Miami is still offense. Their offense has still been average. I mean, they're not offense, defense. Their defense yeah. has still been average. Their offense has been garbage. Their run defense has been gouged. They were gouged a lot by the Colts. And they commit more bad tackle-type penalties on defense, like tackle along the sidelines, horse-collar tackle, face mask while rushing the quarterback, all those kind of things. That's actually nerfing their defense to a degree because they're giving up these 15-yard chunks, while at the same time their offense is – Difficult, just difficult to watch offense when it I is. watch Austin Tate. And they just lost Will Fuller to IR, right? Will Fuller was going to transform the offense by bringing in the deep pass, and he's now okay. going to be gone for at least three weeks. <laughs> they got their they got their two week rental of Will Will Fuller. Texans are like, yep, that's that sounds familiar. Yeah. Todd Todd Singer asks, by the way, so this is connected to talking about Tennessee as the most underperforming team compared to last year. I know this is a little early, but what percentage chance is there that the AFC South, a.k.a. the Sun Belt, will, winner will have eight wins or less? Sun well, Belt. I just ran that query on our last set of playoff odds after Good. I saw that question come up. 39%. Wow. Right now, in 39% of simulations, the winner of the AFC South yep. has fewer than nine wins. That sounds right to me. <sighs> 
I mean, <laughs> when when the smoke clears in 13 more weeks, it would not surprise me if the Texans and Jaguars are like one and two in the draft order. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Colts are that much better than that. The Titans strike me as kind of your run-of-the-mill average bad team. I'm, I'm, I'm with Mike. I think they're going to get this uh, – win this division by default pretty handily. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, there, there's there's – We've kind of had this uh, discussion a few times about the, the worst division. And last year, obviously, it was the NFC East. But historically, it's been this NFC South, which has been uh, Deshaun Watson basically carrying the Texans by himself. And uh, uh, Derek Henry kind of do the same with the Titans. And two franchises that just can't get out of their own, own way in, in, in Jacksonville. And Indy's been, been better in recent years. But, right. um, yeah, uh, and now they're, they're back. I like the Sun Belt. That's, that's a very good uh, uh, comparison. Sun Belt, Fun Belt. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mad Regin, we'll take a couple fantasy questions. Uh, Mad Regin says, should I try to trade Corderell Patterson for Aaron Jones? Owner's a little worried. Should I add Sanders to the mix? Um, I would definitely trade Corderell Patterson for Aaron Jones. Like, I appreciate that Corderell Patterson had a great week. Yeah. But if you said, like, who is more likely to score points in fantasy going forward, right. the answer is Aaron Jones. Absolutely. I agree 100%. No, I, I, like, I, I think Mike Davis is more likely to score points going forward than Corderell Patterson, although it's not – the gap between them is not as big as what we would have thought before the season. Yeah. Mike Davis um, ain't happening, folks. Mike Davis ain't happening. It ain't happening. Sorry. Go, go, you know, go. I don't think Corderell Patterson having three touchdowns is happening every week either. True, true, true. Touche. Uh, I agree with all you're saying, but I'm just going to say I am the last person in the world you should ask for running back fantasy football advice. Oh, every league I have every year, my running backs suck. So, <laughs> what, who do you got this year? Who you got this year? Uh, in the edge, I think I got McCaffrey, which was great until he got hurt. Yep. Um, the, the other league I'm in with my friends, my starters were Josh Jacobs and Daryl Henderson, and who both and, uh, hurt. They got hurt, and th- this last week I would have won, except I did. I had Jacobs on my bench, and I started Peyton Barber, who I'm not even sure if he actually played. Um, and he got hurt. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and and that's it. <laughs> that's what we got. You are the Jason I Barrett. I passed on Patterson because I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, Aaron's leaving. All right. Mike, we, got some, we got some other questions right now. Uh Sorry, my neighbor decided it was time to trim the hedges or something. So I didn't know if you heard that, but I shut my window. Um, I do have a couple more fantasy questions. One is uh, from account Fantasy Football Shop on Instagram. Should I be worried about Keenan Allen, Adam Thielen, and Tyler Lockett declining? And I actually asked Scott Spratt about this before the show, and his answer was I would not worry about any of them. In the long run, they're all going to be fine. That makes sense. Allen's the cornerstone of that passing game still. I mean, well, it's interesting because there's been some talk about the idea that under Joe Lombardi, Mike Williams is the X and that's the Mike Thomas position. And so maybe that that's why some of that passing game for the Chargers has switched from Allen to Williams. Uh, But then against the Raiders, Allen got a lot more looks than Williams did. Right. And Mike Williams isn't Michael Thomas. So I think, I mean, I think I'm not worried about any of those players in the long run. I think that's a strange question. Should I be worried about these three uh, still fairly young players with long track records of production? Yeah, I would four four games. I mean, Lockett had a big game early on. I don't know exactly what his numbers are, but he's on a couple of my teams. He had a really big week early. So yeah, he's there. uh, The the first game, Uh, the Colts. And 
I feel in, you know, Jefferson's amazing. And I would say Jefferson is siphoning targets, but Stefan Diggs siphoned targets from Thielen before. It's the same kind of dynamic there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's third receiver to take a lot of targets away from those two guys like right. KJ Osborne or something. Right. right. And, and, and Eskridge isn't even playing for Seattle. So it's still a Freddie Swain show, a third receiver there. So it's still going to be Lockett and Metcalf in Seattle. It's still going to be Thielen and Jefferson in Minnesota. So no, you're, you're doing fine. Right, and even the Chargers are the same way, where I think Allen and Williams are far ahead of Jalen Guyton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One more fantasy question from the junkyard over Instagram asked, who are three league winners you have your eyes on right now? And I asked Scott Spratt about this too. By league winners, we think you're talking about players that you can get still who will help you win your league. And he mentioned three. One, Damian Williams. Yeah. Taving over for David Montgomery as the running back for Chicago, where mm-hmm. the running game is about to be opened up by having a mobile quarterback. Yep. Excuse me, I have to go out of play right now. Two, Dalton Schultz. Ooh. Tight end for the Cowboys. Okay. You got outbid for in the Scott Fish Bowl last week. And the third one surprises me. He said Joe Burrow. The Bengals okay. have a much harder schedule coming up, though. They do, but when they open up their deep passing game, which we saw in the second half, they're very good. He is very good. Those those weapons are very good. So I I guess when you're looking for a quarterback that'd be sitting on waivers in fantasy, you've got a guy who might be there because he was undervalued because of our fears of the offensive line. And the offensive line is not phenomenal, but they found they're they're finding some people's fears that Jamar Chase dropped some passes in the preseason, Uh, which I think we can erase that narrative now from from now on. Let's not worry about whether rookie receivers are having a couple of drops in the preseason. Yeah. And we don't have to, every time he scores a touchdown on Twitter, point that out people too. It's not funny anymore. We get it. It was like, a, it was a thing, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, he's still playing well. Boyd is still playing well. Um, Joe Mixon right. is playing well, which I mean, cr- you know, creates more of a, of a diverse offense too. It can help Burrow along the way as well. Screens for long gains, et cetera, et cetera. Trexel asks, who is the most underrated backup quarterback in the league at this moment? Ooh. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. Questions like this are tough because I always have to mentally go through, like, yeah. okay, who's the backup for this team? Who's the backup for this team? Who's the backup for this team? Trubisky's a good answer. I, frankly, Dalton is now a good answer. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I think Trubisky is an excellent answer because I think as a backup, he's very good. Right, right. Um, I'm just thinking through who are some of the other backups in the league right now. It's, it's hard. Yeah, there aren't. There aren't. Technically, you know. Trey Lance is a backup. Yeah, Brian says Jimmy G, who I guess is technically a. I don't well, I guess know. Lance I, don't know I think is technically the backup, and I would call Jimmy G the starter. Yeah, and the thing is, I would probably eliminate what you would call quarterback controversies from the list. Like, if you, whenever right. you do that question, you get, uh, if it was a controversy, that doesn't necessarily count. Trubisky is a backup. Like, we yes. know he's the backup. Yes. There's, there's no controversy there. There's no rookie. That, like, Trubisky signed to be the backup. He is the backup. Mm-hmm. And he may be the best backup in the league right now. Right. Exactly. And that's about it. Whenever you have the former starter, like if Mariota was healthy, you could possibly put him in that, the former starter. But we've learned that Mariota plays three snaps and gets hurt every single time now. So we can eliminate him from the conversation. Yeah. And as far as the mobility of Mariota, Trubisky is just as mobile. So that's true. He can add that element. And, you know, it's, 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 it's usually the one who hasn't proven they're bad yet. That's kind also of true. 
that's kind of it. Because it's like, well, Brissett, that's a half decent backup you put in there, and then you put him in the game. Like, oh yeah, there's a reason he's not one of the thirty-two. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think I mean, if Trubisky had to start a couple games, we'd be like, well, you know, there you go, Mitch Trubisky. Like we knew he's not mm-hmm. a start. He's not a starting quality quarterback. But right. I'd rather have him than Brian Hoyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I. The other thing is he asked underrated backup quarterback because the answer to who's the best backup might be Taylor Henneke. Yeah. Given how he's played for the last three weeks because he's still the backup. Fitzpatrick gets that job back when he comes back. But, um, you know, yeah. I don't think Henneke is underrated at this point. I think people are excited about him. He's got his own kind of hive in the Washington fan. Oh, he does. Useful Baker points out Trubisky took a Matt Nagy offense to the playoffs twice. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> technically Matt, true. Basically, Khalil Mack took a Matt Nagy offense yeah. to the playoffs yeah. twice. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It's a strange question because it implies there's a secret weapon out there or a, uh, an undiscovered backup quarterback is going to shock the league someday, and that's rare. Uh, honestly, His name is Cameron Newton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Heineke is the ceiling for these guys mo- mo- most of the time. You know, and the, 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 There's no Tom Brady out there sitting on a bench ready to go to five Super Bowls or anything. Benjamin Robinson asks if it's Drew Locke. No, no, no. Lock, I don't. I don't think Drew Locke is underrated, and I don't think Drew Locke is the best backup quarterback in the league. And I, is he starting this week? I haven't gotten an update there. Uh, it's unknown whether he's starting this week or Bridgewater is starting. This Drew Locke versus Ben Roethlisberger in the year of our Lord 2021 is definitely a game I'm going to watch it Tuesday morning with a wet washcloth on my head on my head so I don't get a migraine. Two two very bad quarterbacks for utterly opposite reasons. Yeah, yeah that's true. The I, I I will say that our prediction that Roethlisberger would maintain his level of last year and not get worse has not borne out. No. Yep. Can't win them all. <laughs> that's he, he, it, it's yes. Look, the fact is, um, predicting the age-related declines of quarterbacks is very difficult mm-hmm. because of survivor bias. Yep. Quarterbacks who play at that age are the ones who didn't decline. I mean, Tom Brady is going to skew trying to predict the age of related decline of quarterbacks is going to skew it now forever. Yes. Because it's always going to be like, well, Tom Brady. Uh, Rivers McCown brings up Case Keenum as possibly the most underrated backup. He is in Cleveland, I believe. Yeah, that's a a good one because, you know, you're what you see is what you get. Like I can see, like if you say, if you put Trubisky in right now, the Bills are still three and one because they beat up on a bunch of opponents and they would have lost the Steelers. You put Keenan in right now, I'm guessing the Browns are probably still about where they would have been. You know, I don't think that changes their scenario much because they're running the ball now. Do not say Taste Benjamin, stop. You're, you're trolling. No. <laughs> uh, my, Benjamin my Robinson says Taysom Hill and Mike says no, no, no. Here's my theory on Taysom Hill. He should be Corderell Patterson. Make him a running back. Yeah. Plus he was for a while. He's um, well, he still but, is. They still use him as an all-purpose weapon. Right. Yeah. But like stop, receiver. Stop with the quarterbacks. He has a lot of quarterback snaps this year. Stop with that. Or do it once a game as a as a you know a pitch out option and let him just just give him the ball. Him, him and Kamara on the same field with with Winston. Matt Nasco asks Joe Flacco and Gardner Minshew. Minshew, uh, maybe. 
Flacco, I don't think so. Although I'm yeah. trying to think. I'm trying to as think far as the underrated part, I think Joe Flacco is pretty properly rated. As far as yeah. the underrated part, it might be Minshew. It, you know, if we're going with underrated rather than best, Case Keenum is, yeah. I think, the answer. And if we're going with best, then I think um, Trubisky. that, that Trubisky. Trubisky is the answer. And Tyrod Taylor does not count. Tyrod Taylor is the starter. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> as anyone in Houston will tell you. I'm I mean, I would, I would think when Taylor is healthy, he gets that job back, that they don't say, well, we're punting on the whole year, so we're going to leave Mills at quarterback. I would bet they give Taylor the job back for a few more weeks and try to pretend they're competing, yeah. and then Mills becomes the starter again around, like, week 14. Yeah. I don't know. Davis Mills would have to be a lot better. I mean, is there a third quarterback they can play ahead of Mills? <laughs> well, the question is, how much do we take from this last game? Because Mills has played two games. Right. In one, he was slightly below average. Right. Against a good defense. Right. In the other, he was abhorrent. <laughs> so it's like we have to have the discussion about by by including the Buffalo-Houston game as one-fourth of Buffalo's DVOA right now, are we completely overrating the Bills because that one game was so extreme? Mm -hmm. If we have that discussion, we also have to have the discussion, does it make Mills look so much worse than he really is that one of his two games was this disaster mm -hmm. that is very, very unlikely to be repeated? I, I, I am sure this won't be the norm. It will not be a norm, but go yeah. on. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the, I would expect Taylor to get the job back for a few weeks, and then when they don't have to pretend they're competing anymore, Mills will start the last three or four games of the season. Sure. Benjamin Robinson points out, by the way, Minshew has been a healthy scratch for the Eagles with Flacco on the roster. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know the system out here. And, uh, I mean, I think he would be a better backup. I think in 14 years we're still going to be talking about Minshew like we talk about Fitzmagic, and he's going to be getting all these opportunities. So, yeah, he belongs in the conversation of a very solid backup option because of some of the things he brings to the table in terms of accuracy, creativity, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, that, 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 that Fitzmagic kind of a thing there. Think about Mills you got to look for right now. you got Mills going up against the Patriots. you got rookie quarterback against the Patriots. Mm. Yeah. You got David. The you got Davis Mills, who is bad, and what, however bad he was in the rain against the Bills, he's bad. I keep waiting for them to put an over under for interceptions up on this game, at my favorite sports book, because that over under for interceptions for Davis Mills has got to be up around three and a half, possibly even four and a half, and I might still go over it if they even they probably won't put one up because it's probably. Not I feel I feel like it's more controlled than that. I would think two and a half. Two and I'm half. going over. You go over, over two and a half, but I can't imagine they would set an over under on interceptions yeah. higher than two and a half. Yeah, they would be more likely. They not might juice the under to try to get people to go under on it. That's a good point. That's a good. Well, I don't think they could do three and a half. That just seems. It's just four interception games are just way too rare, even by rookies against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not 1974. <laughs> you don't see these clusters of interceptions like that very often. Well, uh, if, it, if it pops up, you guys will be the first to know. Trust me. I do have to take time to answer, to go back and answer this question, because Bill Houston says, trauma can be a transformative experience. We all know how Bruce Wayne ran with the ball after the tragic murder of his parents. What is it about the Don Banks media pecs that galvanized a young Aaron Schatz to create football outside? Was it their tone, inferior metrics, enchantment with silly narratives? 
Tanya and Verhai, what are your thoughts on the annoying qualities of NFL media? Well, first of all, I have to just give some respect to Don Banks. When, when I started out, I was definitely more negative about the rest of the press than I am now that I've gotten to know some of them yeah, and that they're good and they're well-meaning even when I feel they're wrong. Uh, and everybody liked Don Banks. Uh, but also Don Banks was not the driving force behind the creation of Football Outsiders. I've talked about this. Um, if any one writer was the driving force behind creating Football Outsiders, it was Ron Borges. Yeah. Mm, yes. So for those who don't know the story, Ron Borges in 2002 said the Patriots missed the playoffs. If you know, the play Patriots missed the playoffs in 2002 on a tiebreaker. And he said they missed the playoffs because they couldn't establish the run and that the Belichick, Belichick was a disaster and that the Super Bowl was a massive fluke and that the, the, the team was going to collapse. Mm -hmm. And I said, that doesn't make any sense because Borges, his favorite team is the Oakland Raiders. That's the team he thinks is going to win it all. <laughs> and their running back is Charlie Garner, and he barely yeah. runs the ball compared to other teams. So how can you believe that running the ball is so important and yet Charlie Garner is the running back of the team you think is going to win it? Now, we know now the reason why Ron Borges was so pro Oakland Raiders is because that's where his sources were. Yeah. 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 Uh, but um, that was the sort of driving force behind my first established the run analysis article. Mm -hmm. And I like kind of took football outsiders and ran with it from there. So no, no, no disrespect to, uh, the late Don Banks, and I'm not trying to disrespect Ron Borges either. I'm sure he's a nice guy to his friends, and um, <laughs> he's not my favorite person in the Boston media. But I will point out that my friend Sean Bennett has pointed out that Borges may be the best boxing writer in the country. Okay. Right, like Alex Marvez, he does double duty on two sports, mm -hmm. and he boxing is really his first love. Okay. And um, well, that really I makes sense why you want to Sean is a big boxing fan and has a lot of respect for Ron Borges as a boxing writer. So I do want to give Ron credit for that. But yes, his 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 silly narratives about establishing the run were part of the driving force behind creating football outsiders. Yeah. And you asked about like our theories about you know the media, and I, I we are the media, and I, I am the media, and for like 10 years, I wasn't a football outsider. I was one of the guys with the little porta mic following people around at the Super Bowl. So you see how the sausage is made and you, and you stop. I mean, you rip people who are obviously doing bad work. And there are people we can name who are obviously doing bad work and we're not going to. But what, but when you see like just sort of the bad column or the bad take or things like that, I've been the one who, you know, Brock Osweiler is going to turn the Houston Texans around. I'm the one who had to write that because Brock Osweiler had just got traded to the Texans and you need a take and you need it in the next three hours, you need it for the morning edition, et cetera, et cetera. You do that. So there is some of that stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thankful you had your Batman moment, your Bruce Wayne crime alley moment uh, with Ron Borges. Cause that's how I got my start. Vince got his start there, but <clears> every <throat> while you realize we we're doing what we're doing here. A lot of us are just entertaining people. Some of us are coming in a little faster and a little harder then we want to with our takes because it's got to be done by tomorrow morning and it's got to have this certain headline on it. And that's what a lot of your local columnists, your local beat writers are doing. I'm going to do something very out of character for me and I'm, for myself. I'm going to focus on the positive. 
And yeah. rather than look at the annoying qualities of NFL media, I want to talk about the best thing to happen in NFL media and really in sports media in a long, long time, the Manning cast, which oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. I is. missed it this week. I missed it so bad. I miss it so, I, I watched most of the game on mute, frankly. Um, and, the, and the one time I, no uh, with respect to Lewis Riddick, because Lewis Riddick is good. Yeah. Um, the but it's the conventionality of the Monday Night Football broadcast compared to the unconventionality of the Manning cast. But the Manning cast makes you realize how most, like 90% of sports commentary and play-by-play is is interchangeable and generic and narrative, you know, pre pre game narrative driven and all these yeah. kinds of things. And uh, uh, Doctor Z for Sports Illustrated went on a big rant about it. Things haven't changed in the past thirty years. No. Um, but the Mannings just sit back. They're honest. They 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 have no. Uh, 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 they're not afraid to burn bridges or or uh, they don't have any anything left to hide. Um, they'll take shots at guys if they want to. They're, when the coach what. When the coach makes a stupid play, they'll call it a stupid play. And they'll go into detail about it. They'll drag him. They'll just drag him to the dirt. Um, they're funny. Uh, they have great chemistry because Peyton is obviously the co-host and Eli is the Ed McMahon, the end director part of it. Um, <laughs> they, they, um, it, it's, it. They're entertainers first and foremost, but when there is football to discuss, they're knowledgeable and passionate about it. And they make you feel smarter and more engaged for watching it. I think it's honestly going to change the way sports are broadcast. Uh, hmm. it, football basketball hockey baseball it's, it's, it's going to change the way these things are presented especially now when you can do five different channels of the same game yeah so often and i'll like we'll be on twitter and everything the broadcast the word broad is in it it's not for us right. it's not for you too it's not for me it's not for those of you you know listening to a podcast about football on, on a thursday morning or wednesday night whatever it's for this casual fan everybody was tuning in these looky lose want to see Brady return to Foxborough. They need to hear that. So that's what it is. But you're right, Vince. We've got this world of these variety of channels, you know, three channels, four channels, mm -hmm. simulcast, things like that. We're, I think we are going to see more of this. We're like, get some knowledgeable people, get some edgier voices, et cetera, get them in there and create something <laughs> for that hardcore fan. I also like the first week when they did the broadcast with uh, the stat cast. Well, it wasn't yeah. really a stat cast the way they do for baseball, but it was a side cast where they had the NFL live crew like Mina Kimes and Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky. And then yeah. they had Doug Kazarian and his crew doing betting stuff. That's nice. Uh, I was a little jealous because I wanted to be on that. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I'm friends with Mina and I'm friends with uh, Doug, um, you know, and I'd love to be on that broadcast. But also I thought it was filled with good information. And um, it's hard to pick between that and the Manning cast when they're both on. Uh, but yeah. it's easy to pick between the regular broadcast. Again, no disrespect to Lewis Riddick. It's easy to pick between the regular broadcast and the Manning cast. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, you guys ever watch the National College Championship game when they would have the coaches sitting there? Oh, it was awesome. I loved mm -hmm. it. My, my only complaint would be there, uh, uh, too many voices at one time, uh, but the concept is great. And, and, and you know, um, yeah, you, again, you feel like a smarter person when you're watching it and, it, it, it makes you, it, it, as a sports writer, it humbled me, made me realize how much I didn't see when I was watching. Uh, I would love to see that for a Monday night game. I don't think you could get current, even for the playoff Monday night game, I don't think you could get current coaches. No, no. But I'm guessing that you could get some guys like Eric Mangini. Yeah. Ex-coaches who are now in the media and yeah. do a coach's room for like the wild card game. Mike Holmgren. 
Oh, uh, Holmgren would be a Holmgren would be amazing. Is he in the media? Does he do media stuff? He'd be amazing. He does appearances on Seattle radio. Uh, he doesn't like host a show, but he, I, I'm pretty sure he's on weekly on uh, I can plug it KHAR. Um, uh, so so he he's you know he's, he's an engaging uh, uh, talkative personality. Especially and, if you had a team that was in his coaching tree, like yes. the Raiders. Yeah. Like oh my God, to have Holmgren on it would be awesome. Yeah. Um. One thing, other thing I'll say about the media before we wrap up the show for today is um, I feel like I, I've, I've said a few times, I did not actually go into football analytics to revolutionize the way that teams were run. I went into football analytics to revolutionize the way teams were covered. Yeah. Right. I've always been on a media guy. I was a disc jockey. I was in the radio business. I wanted to do talk radio for a long time. Like it's always been the journalism side of it. Like I never thought I was going to get hired by a team or anything like that. I always just thought, you know, Bill James changed the way we looked at baseball teams. I wanted to do the same for football. Um, the national commentators for the most part, in particular, the national color commentators on television still suck. <laughs> as much as they did um when i started almost 20 years ago yeah but the improvement of local beat writers is a phenomenal hmm. um local beat writers now understand analytics and uh, for the most part understand analytics and watch film mm-hmm. and there was nothing like that 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, your local beat writer didn't watch any film and he didn't know any analytics. And he was just with the microphone asking the questions at the press conference. And then, you know, which there is a talent to doing that and getting real answers, but then in writing the story with, with the bland narrative and like not really understanding what was really happening with the team. I feel like beat writers for the most part are so much smarter now than they were 20 years ago. And I give a lot of credit to guys like Sando when he covered the Seahawks and um oh we lost vince um and uh mike reese and uh yeah. you know uh, jordan rodrigue and yeah. uh, name, if i'm pronouncing her last name correctly teron um, down in tennessee my good pen teron davenport does phenomenal right? work on all of that oh we got back. I'm back. yeah it's just called paul kaharski in tennessee like there's just yes it's so much better what people do as beat writers now then uh and and local coverage of the nfl is so much better than it was 20 years ago it's just a phenomenal difference and you know 30 40 years ago the job was at the bar having the cocktail with the coach scribbling down his notes off the record in background (laughs) and providing that information and that just and first of all of course you're getting a very slanted view in jacksonville that's still the job but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you're just scribbling notes in Jacksonville. That's the only thing you're doing to get that story. Maybe, um, maybe that young lady was just a reporter. Has anyone asked that? If so, she was trying too hard to get the scoop. I'll, st- I'll stop it. I'll stop my thought because we train wrecked it. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's that's my cue to wrap up the show for today. Thank you to Vince. Thanks to Mike. Uh, for thank you for everybody watching for joining us. Thank you to everybody listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, watching on YouTube. Don't forget to rate us 
especially the podcast because it helps people find the show and we want a lot more people to find the show so that we get a lot more questions. So we really get going on these Wednesdays. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow, uh, me and Mike. And why am I blanking now on, JP? I think, Brian? Brian? JP? Brian, not JP. Okay. I think it's Brian is joining us tomorrow. But don't quote me on that. I'm not exactly sure. Um, to preview week five in the NFL tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live and on all of the other places where you're watching the show. So until then, everybody have a good night. Uh, enjoy the, hopefully there'll be more exciting breaking news and tomorrow we'll come back and preview week five. Bye everybody.